0: Truth and Fire, the podcast is brought to you by TruthandFire.com, where we explore faith and pop culture from a witty Christian perspective. Welcome to another installment of Truth and Fire, the podcast, which picks up where Truth and Fire, the blog leaves off. I'm your host, Verité and you can find me at V-E-R-I-T-E-E-T-F-E-U on all social media platforms. In today's episode, we're continuing our three-part special on the Christian response to COVID-19. Declared a global pandemic, COVID-19 has impacted political, social, and economic practices around the world. But how has it impacted the church? And most importantly, has the Christian response even been Christ-like? All of this and more when we return. This is season two, episode 2.3 of Truth and Fire, the podcast. I'm your host, Vérité Efeux, which simply means truth and fire en français. In parts one and two of this three-part special, we discuss Christians and COVID-19 prepping and COVID-19 hygiene, respectively. So when you get a chance, please go back and give them both a listen if you haven't already. Um, But now in part three, I want to discuss the Christian response to government recommendations and mandates against large gatherings. As you all may know, about two weeks ago, the federal government recommended that gatherings of over 250 be canceled Um, from sporting events to conferences, businesses, schools, and nonprofits all over began canceling and postponing their activities. But what I didn't expect was for churches to do the same. To explain why, I would like to read um, a snippet of a piece uh, from Christianity Today. It's called The Church Growth Gap, The Big Get Bigger While the Small Get Smaller. So um, I'm going to read the first couple of paragraphs or a few paragraphs just to kind of give you guys some context to shape why I um, was shocked when a lot of churches decided to close. Um, and it says in many congregations in the United States, new faces in the pews have become rare. A new study from Exponential by LifeWay Research found 6 in 10 Protestant churches are plateaued or declining in attendance, and more than half saw fewer than 10 people become new Christians in the past 12 months. Growth is not absent from American churches, said Scott McConnell, executive director of LifeWay Research, but rapid growth through conversions is uncommon. The research gives a clear picture of the state of Protestant churches in America today. Most have fewer than 100 people attending services each Sunday, estimating around 57%, including 21% who average fewer than 50 around one in 10 churches or 11% averaging 250 or more for their worship services. Okay, so I wanted to read that just to give you guys a little bit of context behind why I was shocked to learn that virtually all churches have closed their doors um, in response to um, recommendations first and that have uh, progressed into um, executive orders. Um, So the takeaways from the article was it says most churches in America or 57 percent of them are around 100 members, 21 percent have fewer than 50 members, and 11 percent have 250 members. So that means if you add these percentages up, that means that Nearly 90% of churches in America have 250 members or less, right? With the majority of them having 100 members, averaging around 100 members. So most churches, most churches had well under the 250 um, size limits to begin with. That's number one. The other takeaway is that churches are already declining in membership as we see uh, the great falling away taking place. Um, I believe this present circumstance in which we find ourselves is in no way um is, 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 is a new way I should say is a new way to empty the pews more efficiently. Okay. So if we already were experiencing a decline in church growth, um, as the gentleman quoted that new conversions, uh, membership due to new conversions is, um, declining or that being uncommon, that's likely because there is a great falling away happening. It does not mean that the Lord is still not protecting his church. It does not mean that there won't be new believers coming in, but it's, far as the culture that we once saw especially in America where people were flocking to the faith churches were growing um, and you have a church on every corner but these memberships are declining not because the church doesn't have well some of these churches are false churches but in general the, the true church not because the true church doesn't have anything to offer anyone it's just that people don't want what we're offering. People don't want Jesus. Um, Does that mean we stop preaching him? No, not at all. But we should not be surprised when there's a great falling away. However, I was surprised that most churches closed at the mere recommendation of of, of cancellation of services for 250 members, because I already knew that most churches were around about 100, 100 people. So I didn't understand why most people felt the need to cancel. So I originally thought that church cancellations would be done simply by larger mega churches, namely like the, the lukewarm lukewarm ones. I do know, and I am aware that there are larger churches that do preach, um, the gospel, the biblical gospel. I get it. I know that, but I thought that from a majority standpoint, um, that these smaller churches, um, had a lot to benefit from this. And so I felt that the large, the, uh, the larger ones, I should say, would have been the ones that would would have been inconvenienced, if you will. They would have been the ones that I was thinking of maybe breaking into smaller groups or um, to meet the 250 threshold in good faith or to have multiple services to keep all the different services at 250. Um, So these are the things that I'm thinking, right? And I'm thinking that this was going to be a great way to dismantle those larger Joel Austin type churches, right? Those churches that did not um share the gospel. Um so that's not what happened, right? So between that Friday and Saturday, um, when the government was, this was around what, March 13th and 14th, went right after the government was making their recommendations, right? And then some state governments began to put in a, a, executive orders in place. But For the most part, in the beginning, these were recommendations. And so that weekend, um, before Sunday, of course, we saw one church after the next releasing statements, noting that they would be canceling services. And of course, as people have asked me, yes, that included mine. So as I approach this topic, I want to come at it from three different angles. One, um, first, I want to talk about whether or not um, closing its doors was a way for us to show our love for our neighbor. The other thing I'm going to talk about today is whether or not closing our church doors is a way for us to obey our government. Um, Romans 13, as a lot of people were quoting online. And third, I want to talk about whether or not these church clo- closures or the gathering of the saints is a secondary issue. So that's something that I want to be talk. I want to talk about today. So um give me one moment i want to play a clip for you guys um, i want you to listen to a pastor's take on this matter and i'll be back with the rest of my commentary
1: i don't want to get into no fights with pastors but let me say this i know that our church is hundred thousand dollars a month i like being in our church is forty thousand dollars a month we have 50 employees we got a counseling center we have uh, uh we have a, a human trafficking program that we sponsored we're building a church in africa when we don't have church, that threatens our operation. We're like other, so for us, when we, when we made a decision to close our church, uh, public worship services, that was not a fear. That was because we had regard, and for me, I love my members, and they want to put them in a position where they be sick The faith for me was not in having church. The faith for me was saying, you know what, we're going we're gonna to prioritize people's safety. And trust that God's gonna help the people to meet our needs financially. That was faith. Just because you had church does not mean you got faith. Some of you guys had church because you needed that offering, and you and you put people in jeopardy. Some of you did that. Now I'm not speaking fair about it. But for us, we decided to not have worship because we didn't wanna uh, we didn't wanna risk our susceptible uh, demographic, those who are over 60, because all the scientists on medicine people are telling us health CDC. Who? All the organizations are saying, this thing is pandemic. So for us to have a global pandemic and risk our membership, we felt that we want going to love our members enough to let them stay safe, to follow the doctor's recommendation, and then trust that God's going to meet the needs. And, 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 and I'm just believing and trusting God that we put people first. So just because somebody had church, sometimes people use no scriptures, twist them because they need to the offer it.
0: Welcome back. So that was, um, E. Dewey Smith of House of Hope in Atlanta, Georgia. For those unfamiliar with Mr. Smith, um, he is a false teacher and a former co host of the short lived television show The Preachers on Fox. Um, for those of you who may recall that show, it was also um, co hosted by the likes of Joel Austin's protege, John Gray. Those of you guys may be familiar with John Gray, and I think his name is enough. Um, I'm just, you guys. There's enough behind him where if you Google him, you will find out what you need to know about him. Um, It was also co-hosted by Jamal Bryant, who is the successor of Eddie L. Long um, out of Atlanta, Georgia's uh, church, New Birth Missionary Baptist Church. Um, Those of you who uh, are from the Baltimore area may be familiar with Jamal Bryant. Um, He's also a false teacher um, and uh, his many indiscretions, I don't bring them up to shame him for past sins this man is continuously, um, unqualified as a pastor. So that is why I am uh, bringing those up. Okay. If someone is repentant of their sin, if someone is, is a a believer in Christ and they've moved on, that's one thing. But if someone is continuing to wallow in their sin and is unrepentant and is uh, preaching a false gospel to boot, um, that those things have to be uh, stated. So I bring that up. Um, and also, I want to share another fun fact about Mr. Smith. Um, he last about two years ago, actually, he came under fire because his church originally refused to dedicate a, les- a lesbian, parishioners, baby. Um, but after receiving backlash, he apologized, um, for refusing to do that. Um, so this man is very much into compromising. He's very much into preaching a false gospel. So I don't take anything he says with any level of seriousness. There's also something to be said about Mr. Smith implying that churches that opened their doors um, were doing it for the money. When um, Kenneth Copeland is a good example of how it does not matter if a church decided to keep their doors open or closed, um, if the If the intention was to uh, do a money grab, a money grab was gonna be done. Um, There are a lot of churches that have gone into online giving. So people can still give online. So they don't have to meet in person to give to their church. So I'm sure Mr. Smith is aware of that. Um, He went on a list of what their bills are as if uh, that was painting them to be more righteous by canceling their services um but we all know that he could easily just continue to reach out to his parishioners to continue to send in their their giving um even when they are not meeting in person so i don't know if that case is solid enough to uh to make his position uh stronger so i'll just leave that leave that particular point there But the reason why I wanted to play his clip, because I wanted to get into my original thought process behind those churches that were canceling their services, um, my original thought, um, because the first church that I saw that canceled their service was Joel Austin's church, um, which is, um, Uh, Lakewood out of Texas. So I just, I just knew, you know what, these churches that don't preach a solid gospel, they don't preach the true gospel. They have no backbone. They're going to definitely cower. And that's what I was thinking. But the reason why a lot of these churches did it, there were two reasons. One is because they want to love their neighbor by preventing the spread of the disease out of concern for others is what was said. And the other was uh, to obey, um, our government and so I want to talk about first the concept of loving thy neighbor so um yeah if someone is sick um in your congregation it is wise that they do not come into um the mix that they make others sick right there's press there's biblical precedent for that we see in um in the uh in the law where the Lord was telling, um, Moses to ensure that people who had leprosy or different types of illnesses and things like that will be shut out of the camp and shut into a particular, um, you know, either stay at home or go into a particular place designated for people with a particular disease or whatever the case may be until a certain amount of time, um, and a certain, you know, ceremonial cleaning, cl- cleansing had been, um, uh, Uh, observed and then they could then rejoin everyone. So yeah, if you're sick, you have a cold, you have the flu, you have um, any type of a contagious disease um, that will cause you to get others sick, it does make sense for you to not go amongst the body, right? There's biblical precedent for that. What there is not a biblical precedent for is that because of a concern that one person may be sick a concern that someone may be sick, a concern that one person may be sick with no no evidence whatsoever that that is actually true, um, that the, the word does not have any cases where the gathering itself just shut down out of concern that one or few people or all the people were, that did not happen. That did not happen. And so people kept using that example in my comments as if that meant something. And I'm like, no, one person who is surely sick stays away so that, it, so that they don't get the masses sick, but the masses doesn't cancel service to avoid potentially getting someone sick with something they may or may not be sick with. So those things don't really make a lot of sense. That 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 concept wasn't really gelling with me. So I wasn't really picking picking up what people were dropping there. Um, I get that the experts who are still learning as they go and flying by the seat of their pants and figuring this out by the day. And, and even as they quote unquote, figure it out, there's new information that they have to learn. They're in derision right now. And I'll talk about uh, more about that later. But someone like me who needs, um, facts and evidence. <laughs> um, I believe in God. Yes. And I'm a reasonable person. Um, and the Lord gives me wisdom and I'm like, Hmm, you you mean to tell me that I need to not trust my God's word that says that we are not to forsake the gathering of ourselves because of a lot of recommendations and speculations that people are making. That wasn't good enough for me. Um, the other thing that I was thinking that was interesting about this concept of oh we don't want to meet because we want to protect other people because we may be sick and I'm thinking how prideful is it of us to think that we can make this compromise of not gathering so that we can protect people as if it is it is not ultimately God who protects us as if obeying God doesn't come with his own protections right scripturally speaking I'm looking at Psalm 91, okay? Um, I'm looking at Psalm 91, and it's pretty popular at this point because it's going all around um, (laughs) the inches of nets right now, right? And so um, I'm going to read the first, I think I'll read up until verse 8. It says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked." That was my first line of defense in terms of where my my head is at with with this whole thing. I trust that I am protected by God, right? That's one thing. But even if it is the Lord's will that I get this disease, right? Even if it's the Lord's will that I capture, uh, not capture, that I catch this disease, I don't wish it upon my worst enemy and I definitely don't want it, but if I got it. Right. I also know that I am able to suffer well, right. Um, through, of course, the help of the Holy Spirit, not in my own strength, but through the help of God, right. I'm able, I'm able to suffer well for his glory. So why would I forsake the assembling? Why would I forsake the gathering? Why would I disobey a command of God for fear of something that ultimately at the end of the day, the Lord can either protect me from or see me through? Third is the thing about dying from a disease, right? Even if I were to die from it, I have a blessed hope. And so people are like, oh, that's selfish, that's selfish, but is it? Because as believers, we're all supposed to be in a position where we're not afraid to die. That's what we're su- that's where we're supposed to be. I get that not everyone is there, but that is the standard. That's where we're supposed to be. He who desires to save his life will lose it count the cost, right? Jesus tells us we are, we are, um, lambs, you know, sheep led to the slaughter. I mean all day long. So we already know that it is a death sentence to profess Christ. So to be afraid of a little old virus that may or may not impact us, and even if it did, we will be in the protection of the Lord, we should exercise the wisdom that the Lord has given us, not man's wisdom, but the wisdom of God's word to do what it is he tells us to do, right? No matter what the risk seems, it will be not to be reckless, but to be obedient to scripture. And no one can tell me that it is disobedient to scripture to gather, okay? Okay. The other element of the Psalm 91 effect, if you will, is that people are basically, there's a line of thinking going around that by using Psalm 91 in this particular situation or applying it and people praying this this particular Psalm, which I think is wise, right? But for people, um, for some people using Psalm 91 is dangerous right now because it is the same, out of the same Psalm, um, Satan misquoted scripture to tempt Jesus um, when in Matthew 4, when Jesus was in the wilderness, to tempt Jesus to throw himself down, right? Um, when he says, and would not the, the angels, you know, lift you up, would, would, would not the Lord uh, send his charge of angels over you to lift you up, um, lest your feet dash the rock. People are saying that because Satan used a portion of Psalm 91 out of context, then using it now is also dangerous. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Just because a false teacher, just because Satan himself twists scripture does not mean that a scripture is of no effect ever at all. That does not mean that. What it means is that taking a line out of their father's book not the, not the scriptures, but the, the, the father of, uh, of lies taking a, taking, uh, following his example, false teachers have continued to misapply Psalm 91 to make claims that a believer will never get sick. A believer will. Now we already know that scripture interprets, interprets scripture. And we've seen situations where Paul talks about having a thorn in his side where by, by and large, most scholars believe that that is a physical ailment. um, We see him talk to Timothy about his stomach illnesses. We see Paul um, talk about uh, certain um, individuals in the church who were sick. We see um, situations where the sickness shut in and we see situations with Job um, who was sick. So we see that, yeah, believers get sick, right? Believers can have... um, sicknesses in their body but the way we glorify the lord is how we suffer through these things because jesus tells us in this life you will have tribulation and we will have trials of various kinds right so sickness can be a part of that however there is a difference between the general sickness that goes around you know that we we would have Um, you know, just as as, as human beings and then the judgment of God taking place. And what's going on right now, if people want to treat this as just another... a happenstance and not look at this as a spiritual matter, that's on them. But what I'm telling you, the fact that the whole world is shut down over this thing. And as I mentioned in my last podcast, namely um in the hygiene one, uh, part two, about how the message of washing your hands, what a clear message to prepare hearts for the gospel, where in the natural, we are hearing a message that the Lord has been saying for at least 2000 years, all men have been commanded to wash their hands of sin, as we heard from James four in part two of this um, se- uh, special. So my point here is that just because the enemy misquoted a verse or two from Psalm 91 does not mean that Psalm 91 does not mean what it means, right? Um, because I'm not using it out of context. Um, I'm not asking anybody to go dash their foot against the rock or to behave recklessly. All I'm saying is to gather, right? There's a difference. Satan was using... Portions of this scripture to ask Jesus to do something reckless, which is something that the Lord did not command us to do. The Lord did not command us to commit suicide. Okay. What the Lord did command us to do is to gather. And I would believe that if the Lord will have us gather, the Lord can protect us in, especially when we're coming together to corporately worship Him. Um, so that's something that, that I'm saying. I'm not asking people to go out there and do anything reckless. All I'm saying is to gather. God didn't say gathering would kill you, man said it. There is a a sure and a true reality that coronavirus is real and it is serious. However, right? The however being that that doesn't take anything away from what the Lord told us to do. Persecution is serious, being beheaded is real. Going over to a closed country and preaching the gospel has true dangerous implications. Does that mean we not take the gospel there? No, we are called to still do what the Lord will have us do. And we have to trust that the Lord has our back. Daniel did what the Lord will still have him do, even at the risk of being thrown into the lion's den, into the fiery furnace. And the Lord delivered him in both instances, right? He did suffer the trial, but the Lord delivered him from that trial, right? Before any, before any true harm came to him. Okay. Um, So that's something that I was thinking about with that. So I don't believe that it is foolish to believe God. So I don't believe it's foolish to apply Psalm 91 to this situation. Um, Someone said it might be the enemy's plan to use Psalm 91 to tempt us to behave foolishly to gather, you know, so that we could get, you know, tempt the Lord. And I'm thinking, how do we tempt the Lord by doing what the Lord told us to do? Right. It just, it just doesn't make any sense. Right. The other element to the love thy neighbor argument that has caused me some confusion is the notion that by keeping our doors closed and maintaining our distance from one another, we are truly loving our neighbors because we are willing to sacrifice that fellowship, which I just think is such a dangerous place to be. One, because the Lord says obedience is better than sacrifice. So, again, we love thy neighbor, but the first and greatest commandment is to love God. If we love God, we will keep his commandments. Keeping his commandments allows us to love our neighbors as we ought. Practically speaking, while our church doors are closed, our neighbors are finding their way to abortion clinics, weed dispensaries, and liquor stores to find ways to soothe or comfort themselves through a time that they find troubling and and full of uncertainty we're offering them no guidance no hope yes we're online but so is joel austin so is cd jakes who do you think they'd be more more inclined to, to turn to when they can walk down the street see church doors open see the church that's preaching a true biblical gospel with their doors open and they are unsure they're taking stock of their lives right now they're really looking at who they are what their life is about, where where their eternity will be. People are thinking about their life right now. And they're also thinking about their life in eternity because of the, the impending or the risk of death coming from the coronavirus. And they happen to see that this church church's doors are open and they can walk in and hear the gospel and receive the fellowship of those individuals. Not necessarily until they, of course, repent, but um, at least receive the encouragement of those individuals that are gathered together to worship the Lord. It's just... I. The world is going to do what the world is going to do. The church needs to do what the church is called to do. That is how we love our neighbor. We love our neighbor by doing what God told us to do. Even if we don't fully understand it, even if we don't fully comprehend it, if we trust that the Lord's word is infallible and is sufficient, as we all like to say for our Sola, uh, sola Scriptura and our five Solas, uh, those within the Reformed um camp then I don't understand how we truly believe we are loving our neighbors by keeping our doors closed and not gathering together and I honestly don't see how we believe that we're loving God during doing this in the meantime so that's all I have to say about that so stay tuned after this break I'm going to be talking about the other element of these arguments for keeping our church doors closed which is obeying our government so um hang tight and I'll be right back after this brief message Hey guys, Verita Fu here. Some of you guys have asked for ways to support Truth and Fire, so here's three. Number one, subscribe to the blog and the podcast. It's the best way to stay up to date on our latest content. Number two, purchase merchandise from the Truth and Fire shop. We've got shirts, hats, phone covers, laptop covers, and other neat pieces to help you represent. Visit www.truthandfire.com forward slash shop. Number three, partner with us on Patreon. We have four tiers to choose from, so pick one and unlock the benefits of your support. Find us at www.patreon.com forward slash truth and fire. Thank you guys so much for listening. Welcome back. Um, You are listening to episode point. Three of Truth and Fire, the podcast. Um, this is picking up um, with the first two uh, parts of this, this three-part series, where first we talked about the Christian response to prepping uh, for COVID nineteen. We talked about the health and hygiene aspect of the COVID nineteen response by Christians, and today we are talking about. Christian response by way of church closures um, due to um, COVID-19. So in the last segment, I discussed um, a few thoughts concerning the love thy neighbor um, argument put forth by those who support the church closures for that reason. Um, And basically, I basically am sharing or shared that I don't really see how ultimately we are loving our neighbor when our neighbor is still Um, still has access to and of course the world is going to be the world but our neighbor is finding solace and comfort in things like marijuana abortion and liquor while churches are closed yes we're online um, and that's great but um, there is something to be said about the gathering because the Lord has asked us to do that. Um, also, the encouragement that we would give one another who are willing to gather to come together um, in the Lord. Um, and just just also in a point that I did not mention in the last segment was the dynamic of we are social creatures. And so if we see one group of people panicking or, or cowering or in fear or just just altogether feeling nonchalant about it. We're more inclined to. Um, backup as well it really takes someone to really push through um, and it puts me in the mind of the whole Caleb um, situation with the, with the spies that went out um, to look at the land of Canaan and the Lord is telling them this is the land that's going to flow with milk and honey and you got all this good stuff coming to you and they're looking like well there's giants over there and those people are huge and their armies and you know and they came back with such a negative report And the Lord was so done with them because he's like, have I not shown you who I am? Do you not trust me? You don't believe I I can't give you this victory. You're really looking at these people like you really think they're bigger than me. That is an insult to the Lord when we do that. So for us to respond to this COVID-19 situation the way we are, I believe it undermines or actually maybe underscores our view of the Lord. And it's something we need to be careful about. So in the next, um, uh, uh, I guess, area that I want to address is about obeying your government. So there's something a lot of people said in the comments when I was sharing my thoughts about this topic. And um, it was a lot of Romans 13, one, a lot of Romans 13, one popped up. And I'm looking at this, like, how in the world are you showing me this as if Acts 5 and 29 does not exist? You know what I mean? Like, how are you showing me Romans 13 as if? Acts 5 and 29 um, don't don't speak about how we are to obey God rather than man. Obeying your government never means that you do it at the expense of obeying God. Okay, obeying your government is a way that you obey God. But if the government is asking you to do something that will cause you to disobey God, you continue to obey God that's the point. I want to take the, I want to take the phrasing of disobey the government out because I don't want to put that in anyone's mind. I'll just put it this way. If the government is asking you to do something that requires you to go against what the Lord would have you do, you continue to do what the Lord would have you do. We'll just leave it at that. Okay. Um, now with that being said, one thing that I thought was so interesting about the way churches closed, in addition to people, you know, wanting to love their neighbor, people were saying they wanted to obey their government. Now, obey means it's a command, like a command is in place, right? And so in the beginning, especially, these were recommendations. So <laughs> you weren't breaking, you wouldn't have been breaking a law, right? by deciding to continue to meet. And as I mentioned in the opening of this episode, about 90% of churches fell well under the 250 persons threshold. So they're refined, right? And that's and that's not counting the people who don't come to church every Sunday or who or would or, or would have missed church for some other reason, right? So church congregations tend to be small as it is, but okay, we want to obey our government. So I'm thinking, what are we obeying exactly, considering that in the beginning it was a recommendation? The other thing about the obey your government is if we're going to obey our government, that means that we want to uphold the laws of the government. Yes. Great. Let's uphold the First Amendment. As believers in America, we have a grace here, right? That we could use at our disposal for now. It may be taken away at some point in the future. I personally believe it will based on the trajectory of things, but we have A stopgap, if you will, if you want to put it that way, right? Of course, God's word is all sufficient. God's word is enough. If someone says you can't do A and God's word says do A, we're doing A, right? But by God's grace, we have, there were two sets of ways of escape that were presented here, and we knocked both of them down. One was the size limits, right? Like I said, 90%, at least about 90% of churches, fell well under right or or fell at or under that original size recommendation that was number one but by at that point we were already closed that's number one now by the time they came out with the 50 persons thing um which was i think saturday night or sunday night Maybe we were already closed. Churches had already decided that we were going to be closed anyway. So that's number one. We had a way of escape through the size limitations. Those size limitations or recommendations did not apply to uh, the majority of us. That's number one. Number two, our other way of escape is the First Amendment. No one even tried to look at that. Again, this is going on though. This is speaking to those who use the obey your government argument, right? I don't have a choice. I have to obey my government. You do have a choice. Your government has laws in place by God's grace that actually protects you. We want to talk about wisdom and we want to talk about um, prudence, right? And looking at the resources around us. Oh, it's prudent. It's wisdom. We have the internet. You also have the first amendment. Okay. 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 So we have the first amendment that allows us to freely exercise our faith and no state can prohibit that. Right. And so I'm looking at this article out of uh, Michigan and I'll have to figure out the, uh, the, uh, source because I shared it on my Instagram page. Um, but I'm looking at governor. Let me see. So it says Michigan governor says state doesn't have the ability to directly enforce and control religious religious gatherings amid coronavirus virus outbreak okay it says Michigan governor Gretchen Whitmer on Sunday said she exempted religious services from a statewide ban on gatherings of 50 or more people amid the coronavirus outbreak at the behest of the Republican legislature but said she strongly discouraged such gatherings we're discouraging people from gathering at all, Whitmer said on Fox News Sunday. That's an area we don't have the control. The, uh, that's an area we don't have the ability to directly enforce and control, she added, citing the separation of church and state. OK, so we're talking about whether or not the church is willing to. Uh, stand up for the rights that it has presently. I'm not saying to be, uh, combative about it or disrespectful about it, to, to ride in the streets about it, but just to simply speak up and and realize, hmm, this is something that is actually violating, um, something that I am entitled to if we want to speak about things purely from Romans 13, right? If we want to act like there's no other scripture that offers more clarity on that, right? Um, But if we want to just stick with that and we want to talk about obeying the laws of the land, which I agree with, right? Unless, of course, those laws cause us to disobey our God, right? We want to talk about obeying the laws of the land. Let's apply the laws of the land. And we didn't do that. Okay. We decided that Romans 13 applies at a recommendation. So, um, yeah, that was, (laughs) I just didn't understand that. Okay. That's not, that's, that's one thing that I thought was interesting about the obey your government, um, aspect of it. And then there's another aspect of just dealing with mere mortals that I thought was interesting. We are, How do I put this? We are seeing, as if we probably have never seen this before, and we probably have not, but we are seeing right now unprecedented times, at least in our lifetime, at least in our generation, where people are flying by the seat of their pants to figure this thing out. And I shared some thoughts to this effect um, last week when I said we are living in a time never before seen by man yet we serve an eternal god who knew the end from the beginning please trust in the lord our god whose word is truth and will not return to him void he knows what is best notice how man's wisdom has us contending with instructions that change by the day facilitate panic and guarantee uncertainty the lord's instructions offer quite the opposite And from there, I quoted Psalm 118 verses eight through nine. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes, meaning rulers, right? And I shared that because I don't understand how people, and maybe it was because in the beginning, you know, people were just trying, trying to show good faith, but it was confusion from the beginning. We went from... Okay. No groups of no no groups of larger than a thousand. Okay, uh, five hundred. Okay, two fifty. Okay, fifty. I think I don't even think a hundred got hit. Okay, fifty. Okay, now we're down to ten. Now we're down to ten people. Ten people. At first, it was all about protecting our elderly, those who, who have a weakened immune system, things of that nature. Now it's, you know what? It can affect everybody this way. Uh, you know, they're learning as they go, and even the things that they learn, they're not even truly sure of, right? They don't know when schools are going to open up. They don't know when we will be able to um, uh, gather again as a as a as a church. I mean, I don't know if it's it should be up to them anyway, but you know, Romans 13. So if we are in a place where we have so much uncertainty and we're like, these are, we don't know what the Lord is doing. We may not be clear on what is going on in the Lord's grand scheme of his plan, but we know what the Lord has instructed us to do. When you don't know what to do, do what the Lord told you to do. That's the the easiest thing to do, right? Just do what the Lord told you to do. We were, we would not be breaking any laws, especially in the beginning by deciding to meet however however um where we see ourselves right now is a new um as of Tuesday and I'm recording this podcast on a Sunday um, but as of last Tuesday the state of Virginia has passed um, formal legislation or not legislation but an executive order I'll put it that way that basically will uh cause one who violates the 10 or, or more gathering, um, ban, um, either privately or publicly to a 12, up to 12 months and, or a $2,500 fine. So if you live in the state of Virginia and you try to go to church with uh, 10 or more people, then you are subject to go to jail right now. The writer of this piece, I think it came from LifeSite News. The writer of the article um, was asking the governor's office to clarify, does this apply to houses of worship, religious gatherings and things of that nature? And they said, yes, that is in violation of our First Amendment. That's number one. I mean, let first of all, the Lord told us that we're supposed to gather. So I, that's in violation of Hebrews ten twenty-five. For That's where I'm at with it. But for the Romans 13 crowd who wants to apply the law, the, the law of man, as if it trumps the law of God. Let's let's, let's go to Romans 13. Romans 13, in our land, in America, says that we have constitutional rights. So what do we do? Are we going to follow through on those things? Are we going to use them or not? Okay. So there's that. So now we have policies, official policies being passed that will now give people jail time and fines for um, violating something that was originally a recommendation. And I think it made it easier for these things to become um, uh, uh, bans and laws because we folded so quickly. Um, The state of Maryland, and I'm speaking about Virginia and Maryland and D.C. because this is the area I live in. But in Maryland, the state of Maryland, um, it was a ban from the beginning, but it's unconstitutional. So my plea to the body, which is something I brought up in my most recent piece, an appeal to appeal COVID-19 church closures. Um, I published that piece last weekend. Link is in my bio on Instagram. You can also visit truthandfire.com to check that out. Um, But my appeal in that piece was along the lines of asking Believers, individual believers, and um, even their churches to petition our governing authorities and ask them if we could be listed as essential services um, as a show of good faith. Um, I am not intending us to start a revolution. Um, We will not be doing that. We will do everything um, to glorify the Lord. And Jesus definitely would not have us march into Caesar's palace um, to demand that we not pay taxes for some odd reason. Um, So we want to show good faith and ask them, would you consider us a um, an essential business so that we can do what it is that we need to do as far as honoring our Lord? Because these bans are unconstitutional, yes, but ultimately they cause us to violate the commands of of our God and. I believe that we can put that forth as a show of good faith um, and to see what these um, authorities would be willing to do. I know in the state of New York, um, the as well as in the state of Michigan, as I shared earlier, um, there is a strong recommendation that they not gather. But the state of New York has confirmed that they also um, have no enforce- enforcement power behind um, controlling the gatherings of religious, um, for religious gatherings of houses of worship. So this is an opportunity. These are ways of escape, right? So again, there is no temptation that is, um, that is common to man, basically that the Lord won't help us out of. And so we have two, one, again, um, being the fact that we, we, or most of our churches are well below the 250 threshold um even now they're down to 10 we know we don't meet that but we had a way of escape there we missed that now this this next way of escape which we could still potentially um benefit from is i should say take advantage of is the fact that um we are a uh as religious institutions, we are separate from the enforcement of the government, but as a show of good faith, we can appeal to them as an essential, um, service, um, so that, you know, we would have their blessing, so to speak to open our doors again. Okay. So that's something that I recommended in the piece. Um, check it out when you get a moment. Um, but ultimately, um, it is not my desire to, to, to ask people to disobey their government. That's not what I've been that's not what I've been asking people to do. From the beginning, I've been saying, "Hey, well, if you know there are churches that are larger than the threshold, maybe there can be different services. Maybe there can be um, a, a broken up, broken up groups, small into smaller groups." Um, I'm thinking that was a great opportunity for house churches to to make a comeback. You know, things like that. This is what I'm thinking. I'm not thinking about us overthrowing the government or any. I have no, no. That's not at all what I'm suggesting. Um, we're going to do what they're asking us to do but within the confines of, uh, the parameters that the Lord has set for us, which is to obey him first. Okay. Um, so as I shared on Instagram, um, I said, um, even in, uh, where where did I start? I should start here. So I said, so I'm still wondering why Romans 13 was thrown around as if meeting was being disobedient in the first place. Um, even in states that actually order religious institutions to cease from gathering. Uh, Those orders don't hold water against state and federal laws concerning the Constitution, of course. Uh, My recommendation from the beginning was to simply meet in smaller groups or hold multiple services to show good faith to their recommendations. The next thing I know, people were hot potatoes in my comments uh, popping off about obey your government as if I said we shouldn't. My point is where they cause us to disobey God. Indeed, we should obey God rather than man. But where they but where they don't, we shouldn't just fold to their recommendations. Again, as it relates to people's concerns about catching or spreading Rona, as I would call her, that's where your personal decision to stay home goes into effect. Another point I never negated. My point is only uh, is if people are already leaving the house to go to Walmart, to get an abortion, to buy weed or to buy liquor. What in the world is wrong with believers who are convicted and convinced in their own minds to leave their homes, uh, that they should gather before the Lord. Okay. People are throwing around terms like selfish all while ignoring the perspective of those who hold or who are willing, um, to hold, uh, uh, services as a, as a gathering. Um, one is not selfish to do what God asks of us Two, no one said you had to come three, because you won't be there. The numbers will be few. So I understand that the prayers of the righteous avail much, and God can do much with a few. In fact, that seems to be his preferred method. So I was writing that just to clarify my statements um, for those who had missed all my previous posts or, you know, had seen some and um, didn't uh, read read others. Um, the idea is in the beginning, my, I was not telling people to so disobey against the, you know, the disobey the government or to dismiss how people felt about it, their sincere fears. My whole point of having us meet was to be there for those who have sincere fears, including um believers so that we can encourage them in the Lord's word about where they should stand as believers but you know I'm gonna leave that at that but ultimately as I said there is no there's no need for us to throw around Romans 13 as if the government making these recommendations or now putting laws in place doesn't also have a two um another side to the coin which is what about our constitutional rights? If we want to appeal to the laws of man, the laws of the land, and, and we're talking about being obedient to them, we should be obedient to the fact that we have the freedom of exercise of our religion under the constitution. Um, but ultimately, I get my marching orders from God's word and where the the um, the governments and, and laws of men conflict, I have to continue to obey the Lord. Okay. So that's all I have to really share on that particular on this particular aspect of the topic. I'm going to take another quick break. When, when I come back, I want to talk about whether or not this church closure situation is truly a secondary issue. Is it, I mentioned in my reading that, you know, if you are convinced that you should stay home, stay home. Um, and, um, I want to, I want to talk more about whether or not this is a, is a, a secondary issue, right? Is it a secondary issue? Is it an optional issue? Um, what What are we really looking at when we have people who have different viewpoints concerning church closures? So we'll talk about that when we come back after this break. Hey guys, Verita Efeu here. Some of you guys have asked for ways to support Truth and Fire. So here's three. Number one, Subscribe to the blog and the podcast It's the best way to stay up to date on our latest content. Number two, purchase merchandise from the Truth and Fire shop. We've got shirts, hats, phone covers, laptop covers, and other neat pieces to help you represent. Visit www.truthandfire.com forward slash shop. Number three, partner with us on Patreon. We have four tiers to choose from, so pick one and unlock the benefits of your support. Find us at www.patreon.com forward slash truth and fire. Thank you guys so much for listening. Welcome back. So we are now in the final segment of today's episode, um, where I'll be sharing a few more thoughts and then just wrapping everything up with my final word on the matter um today of course as you guys who have been listening know we are talking about uh the church's response to church closures or via our church closures and what does that really mean for us as we put out um reasonings like you know, love thy neighbor and obeying our government. Um, there are some of us, of course, clearly, I'm one of them in the body of Christ who actually disagree, um, respectfully disagree, of course, but who disagree with the decision to close the churches. Um, and this is in no way my intention to um, attack anyone, to claim that I individually have better knowledge or know better than anyone I'm sincerely as a sister in the Lord trying to um encourage us to do what the Lord would have us do I would not be a sister in the Lord if I did not do that so ultimately what pastors decide to do is going to be what the pastors decide to do I am not going to be uh you know leading a charge or a revolution or, you know, standing outside of churches and, and, and chaining myself to the door. Like I'm not, I'm not recommending any of all this. This is not my intention. My intention is purely to just share a a perspective that seems to be very much um, uh, either snuffed out or missing from this conversation and to encourage us according to the Lord's word um, to, to, to gather, okay? And I shared in the last segment um, a few thoughts I wrote on Instagram about um, what my ultimate point of all of this is. And the point is, we can't force those who don't want to come to come, though I would say they should be encouraged through, of course, in the first um, segment of the show. Today's episode, I talked about the faith component. Right. I talked about the Psalm 91 component, which is the, the popular uh, uh, passage that the that many are applying to this um to this pandemic and then i talked about um in the second segment about our constitutional rights if we don't want to appeal to hebrews 10 25 um we also do have the way of escape provided us through um the laws of this land um concerning our right to um free exercise of our religion um and what i have noted with uh Views like mine being in the minority is that we have effectively been silenced, even if that is not the intention, because decisions were made. I know uh, one individual on Instagram shared with me that their church took a vote. Right. So they took a vote, but not all churches did. And so you basically were at the mercy of, of course, the leaders. And that's and I get it. And that's the case. But um, we are now put in a position where we have no where to go to worship, um, because we were just kind of left out there. Um, we can still gather in small groups and that's great. And I know that we could do that, but as far as, um, wanting to gather in the house of the lord people oh church is not a building churches churches are the people but there's something to be said about the fact that even still in scripture um it does still reference you know having a zeal for the house of the lord and going into the house of the lord so we still know that ultimately um gathering in one central place or location um to to worship god um is the is the intention um and in person of course is the intention and so Um, I'm sharing my view, but it is definitely an unpopular one. Uh, Yet I do respect and I'm grateful for those who respect where I'm coming from, even as they disagree. Uh, But uh, I saw um, a popular uh, uh, commentator, YouTuber, apologist share his thoughts on the matter. And he basically considered this a secondary issue. Um, And while I understand where he was coming from with it, I don't know that I'd be comfortable with counting it a secondary issue because secondary issues is where basically people are saying that it's okay and there's no sin in holding opposing views on the matter. And I actually um, am not sure I fully support that line of thinking. Here's why. Oftentimes when we refer to something that is a secondary issue, it becomes Something that the church doesn't really talk about um, and no one definitively will express. However, the matter of um, the gathering, most believers, even those who disagree with me right now, most believers still do uh, hold to the truth that Hebrews 10, 25 and that scripture in general is Asking believers to meet, to gather in person, right? Even those who disagree with me will say what we're doing right now with online um, worship is not ideal, right? This is temporary. It's just something we're doing for now. They're looking at it as something that is is not a problem because it is a workable solution for the meantime. What? what whereas my argument is that we we still have the ability the physical ability to meet we should meet we should gather right we 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 don't have a real excuse other than of course people saying you know we want to show our love to our neighbor by um closing our doors and uh we want to um we want to obey our government and as i've shared in the previous two segments neither of those arguments truly stand um stand up to scripture, of course, because um, scripture is what it is. And so if we truly believe in God's word as being infallible and being um, God's full counsel that thoroughly equips us, we can't toss this topic aside as a as merely a secondary issue. Again, I understand what the gentleman was saying by calling it a secondary issue. And people use that phrase or a second order issue. People use those phrases to talk about things that are not the gospel or not thought to be germane to the gospel however we know from second timothy three sixteen and 17 that all scripture is breathed out by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of god may be complete equipped for every good work one thing that reformed circles hang their hat on is are the five solas, right? And included in that would be sola scriptura, okay? Five solas don't include the opinions of men, the experts of men. We abide by a code, which is biblical, that says the scriptures got our faith and practice um, thereof. So for us to turn around and then depend on the quote unquote wisdom of men, which has proven itself to be unreliable, inconsistent, um, frustrating, um, and just chaotic right now. Right. Just, there's a lot of uncertainty. So for us to actually throw caution to the wind and depend on what these people are saying and just slap the God is sovereign blanket over it is not wise from where I sit. From where I sit, because the Lord has already told us what we're to do, and His sovereignty includes his willingness to tell us what to do, because he knows the beginning from the end, okay? He already knows what's going to happen, which is why he tells us what it is we are to do in these days. So I don't know that I'm sold on calling this matter a secondary issue because all scripture is God-breathed. And so when we look at things that people like to say are not gospel issues, though they're, they're usually those things that are part of what matures us as believers. Of course is not a gospel issue because the gospel is a fundamental belief of your faith. The gospel is the first glory and a long line of glory to glories. Okay, we are to grow from glory to glory. And so for us to find something in scripture that just because we don't want to immediately see, or we, we may not see, or there may not even be an immediate tie to the gospel in that in, in and of itself ultimately to disagree to ignore to compromise on these things will ultimately attack the gospel okay um Another reason why I don't want to call this a secondary or second order issue um, in the way that we use it, meaning that people tend to use it to me is not important enough uh, to fight against or fight for. Um, But Second Timothy tells us that it's all scripture. God's word is his full counsel and all scripture is profitable for teaching for reproof for correction okay so when we have these conversations some teaching some reproof and some correction is going on some training is going on and we need to be willing to submit to that instead of just assuming that because it's not someone saying jesus died for your sins repent of your sins Jesus is Lord or something to that effect just because it's not those particular things um, when it comes to the gospel doesn't mean that it's still not profitable um really quickly I want to share what I wrote on the matter um this morning um as a matter of fact um just offer some clarity concerning um the second order issue stuff, okay? So, as I said, this is all scripture, is God breathed and it's profitable. If it is the word of the Lord, it isn't secondary. That other stuff that we tend to call secondary in the word uh, most would dismiss as uh, or what would most would, would dismiss as secondary are actually what God considers his full counsel we filter it through the gospel not dismiss it as being separate from the gospel stop compromising the truth by categorizing God's word the truth is to be rightly divided not butchered and discarded okay so just because it's something that we may not understand right away doesn't mean that it's a secondary issue or like oh it doesn't require my further study it doesn't require me to understand it it doesn't require me to wrestle with it no we should wrestle with these things we should wrestle with one another to sharpen one another in these things okay um we have issues uh, concerning God making male and female. That's not a gospel issue. But we know that to deny that, it ultimately attacks the gospel. We have the the, the, the Christ who is the, the bridegroom, and we have the church who is his bride. So if we dismiss the dynamics of the male-female relationship, there are some aspects in there concerning marriage, concerning um, you know uh, Christ uh, coming back for his bride. Those things are tied to the gospel in a way even if we don't see the direct link in the moment right but that's not a quote-unquote gospel issue but if we if we undermine it we ultimately also attack the gospel abortion isn't a gospel issue but if we but we speak against it knowing that to support it ultimately attacks the gospel we know that ultimately it was the lord who created man right we know that it's the lord who ultimately um, requires us to repent of sin right and so we have these lives being brought into to the world and to be discarded so where do we go from where do we go from there in terms of that soul you know what I mean um, and we have the trinity that is it's not a quote-unquote gospel issue in terms of it's not something that's fully understood by most when they come to acknowledge and repent of sin and receive christ as their lord and savior but to misunderstand the doctrine of the trinity almost immediately undermines the gospel right because we know that our father right is is who we're getting to through christ right and that the holy spirit is sent to us by christ to guide us to all truth so we have these essentials um or or these different things concerning doctrines in the word that if we don't stick to them we will ultimately find ourselves dismantling the gospel as well so all truth is necessary all of it should be looked at through the lens of the gospel right of course it's not Primary, The the gathering of the saints is not primary in the sense that it is not the foundation. The gospel is the foundation, but everything else is a building block, right? So I don't want us to talk about secondary issues as if it is a debatable topic that we could just throw away. When the word tells us not to um, uh, dispute over uh, doubtful disputations, it's talking about our personal opinions about things. Can I drink... um, alcohol. Can I can I when scripture is, is is clear that you can have a little bit but don't get drunk with it. So those types of things that you know where either there is no law given or those things that scripture has made it has made things very clear, we should be and we want to apply our own opinion to it. We can't fight over those things. But when we're looking at scripture for what it is and like I said, most people who understand our need to gather agree that we should be gathering in person. Most people agree to that. So what I'm lost at is why this is now treated as a secondary thing as if it does not matter when it is in scripture and all scripture is profitable, right? So if we compromise one area of God's word, we will find ourselves compromising others. So now that we're in a a position where we have folded and allowed this False application of Romans 13 to take root, we now see that states, certain uh, local governments are now putting in policies that actually overtly tell us, as believers, as a church, as a religious organization, if you will, that we cannot gather. That is unconstitutional. It's also against God's word. So, what are we going to do, church? What are we going to do about that? Um, The other thing I want to talk about is the long-term implications about this if we want to call it a secondary issue there are long-term implications behind it that we can't just dismiss things like the lord's supper so what are we going to do about that so in first corinthians um, 11 uh, 17 through uh, 34 as a matter of fact we see paul talking to the corinthians about taking the lord's supper um i'm going to read from uh verses 17 through um, verse 17 through let's read to 22 for now Um, but in the following instruction I do not commend you because when you come together it is not for the better but for worse he's talking about because they had their coming together had so much contention and strife and confusion involved so for in the first place when you come together as a church I hear there are divisions among you Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do, you, uh, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So I bring this particular passage up because Paul is speaking to the Corinthians about their, um, just a dysfunction, right. Um, the divisions that they have going on. Um, and they're saying that they're coming together for the Lord's supper, but all the foolery that's that's around them is that Paul is letting them know that's not what you're doing. It is not the Lord's supper that you eat. Right. Cause when they eat, um, they're, they're eating as if they were in their own homes. They're eating separately. They're not eating together. They're not breaking bread together. And I, and I want to be clear that I have a suspicion that if these recommendations or these bans are not lifted by the time def- different churches are set to take communion, there will be someone uh, instructing believers to take communion in their own homes, in their own homes um, alone or with one other person and it's like and and Paul is just saying here like for an eating each one goes ahead with his own meal um, and he further says do you not have houses to eat and drink in so you're partaking in this as, as, as if it's a common meal you can do this at home right what we're talking about is a breaking of bread and a, a passing of the cup that symbolizes that acknowledges um, the death of our Lord right and that his promise of, of, of course, returning. And and so I just feel like we're going to be put in a position where now we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper separately and people are just going to wink at it. So these are long term implications I'm concerned about. And go, going back to my question about whether or not this is a secondary issue again It is secondary in the sense that it is not the primary message we would preach to someone who is an unbeliever. But as believers, we have the gospel. And so this is a building block that allows us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So the other thing I'm concerned about, of course, is the is the First Amendment, as I've already talked about. What does this mean for us with the First Amendment? If and or when, which I strongly believe that when is is the appropriate word um our first amendment rights to religion get compromised in some way that allows them to reinterpret what it means for example we know in the first amendment about free for freedom of speech there is this 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 caveat there that of course if someone yells fire in a crowded theater um ultimately you know, that's not an exercise of free speech because you're in danger, you are endangering other people, right? So I can easily see someone applying that logic to our freedom to exercise our faith because they're going to claim that our coming together is something that will cause us to um, something that will cause us to put others in danger. So in that point, there will be an because people are like, oh, there is no direct attack on the church. So why are you? Why are you worried? anything that causes us to undermine scripture is an attack on the church period even if they overtly call us out it's an attack on the church don't forget who your enemy is please don't okay and so with that being said i am concerned that as we compromise and give room and lose ground in these little areas we can just expect a slippery slope after this um so that's pretty much where i am with it Um, whether or not it's a secondary issue I I would not use that word because usually the connotation behind secondary, meaning it is a non-issue, meaning it is a debatable issue. And we know that whether or not the church should gather is not a debatable issue. Um, There's also the concern that people don't even try to uh, address the topic because they feel like It doesn't have a bearing on whether or not i make it to heaven or hell so i'm not going to study it like a lot of people do with eschatology oh i'm not even going to look at i'm not going to wrestle with it when jesus comes he comes however there's a lot that goes into what jesus has warned us to look for to use our discernment for to pray about and if people are ignoring those areas of scripture because they're only focused on jesus died for my sins when jesus is like yeah i did now follow me and following him, it requires us to abide in his word, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, to grow from glory to glory, that we are shaped into the image of Christ. If we are stuck in one place and resting on our laurels, believing that that is enough, we will find ourselves falling away. So my whole point is don't treat this as a secondary issue in the traditional sense that this word tends to be approached. Treat it as a building block, to the gospel all right the building block of the gospel. the gospel is the primary block and everything else after that needs to be built you know carefully building upon that right we are able to examine and test and understand the scriptures through the truth of god's word okay i mean the truth through the truth of the gospel um so yeah so let me finish my thoughts from instagram and i'll go ahead and close out um So it says this is just because someone isn't saying repent and believe Christ in every post doesn't mean they aren't contending for the gospel. I meant to put contending, I put contending, contending for the gospel for to declare truth is an automatic defense of the gospel. The gospel is our primary message because it is the power of God to him who believes one who becomes born again when they believe, uh, one becomes born again when they believe it and through this they now have the ability to understand and be guided to all truth So we should not quench the spirit by dismissing anything in god's word as quote-unquote secondary among believers if they already have the gospel they need the other stuff to mature in the grace and knowledge of jesus christ okay so that's the point that i'm trying to make with all of this ultimately i'm not trying to make a law where there is no law, I'm actually telling us to follow the law that was given to us concerning gathering, and it says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves. Okay, um, there's wisdom in this, but I'm gonna digress because I feel like I have spoken about this topic at nauseum I have a blog post on it, I've spoken with several people, um, about it, and at this point, if people hear me, cool, if they don't. OK, I won't say cool because I disagree, but OK. Um, but holler at me in May when uh, or June, if we're still uh, doing these online gatherings, holler at me when your Internet service is disconnected because uh, Christians are not allowed to speak about Christ online. Holler at me When um, even if your church is online, there are still people that are finding ways to um, sabotage your 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 uh, your streamings or whatever the case may be. Now, we already know that the church is going to be protected by God. However, we should not rest in the presumption that in disobeying what God would have us do, that we should assume any special Protections when we have taken ourselves from under that protection and from under those guarantees by going against what the Lord has instructed of us, right? So choose you this day, like, right? You know, if it's God, let it be him. If it's, is it ba- ba- Baal or whoever it is, let it be him. But when we move and do our own thing, um, God can grace us. But there still are some consequences that can happen in the meantime. I don't say this to scare us. I just say it as a loving yet stern warning that it is so prudent of us and necessary of us to get back on track with gathering. Will people in the world blame us for the spread of COVID? Probably. That's very likely. It's very likely. But they're going to blame us for everything anyway. They blame Christians for the fall of Rome. So it just is what it is, okay? Um, So with that said, I think I have spoken a lot on this and I'm going to go ahead and leave it be. Make sure you please go check out an appeal to appeal COVID-19 church closures when you get a moment, as well as parts one and two of this three part series on the Christian response to COVID-19. I pray you and your families are well. For those who are single, I feel you. We're in the house alone. You may have a pet. Make sure you get out, go for a walk. Um, try to hook up with other members of your church to fellowship um, as you're able um, for those who are stuck in the house with their kids and with their families and are drive, being driven crazy um, take heart bless the Lord you have your family uh, ask the Lord to give you the strength and the patience with them and that the ability to see them in a in a light of as being a blessing that the Lord has intended them to be for you um, and uh, yeah so thirsty i talked a lot today so i'm gonna go ahead and close out this episode um just make sure if you have any questions or concerns feel free to hit me up via email info at or on instagram as i have mentioned in previous um episodes i am not currently on twitter i'm still debating about whether or not i should return for now my opening is going to remain as is about my being um vetted If on all social media platforms, but that could soon change if I ultimately decide to never return to Twitter. So we'll see. But thank you, as always, for your support, your encouragement and for your time. And of course, as always, thank you for listening. Truth and Fire, the podcast has been brought to you by TruthandFire.com, where we explore faith and pop culture from a witty Christian perspective. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, let us know. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Efu. That's V-E-R-I-T-E-E-T-F-E-U. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. We hope you'll join us next time. Thanks for listening.